So Money Episode 373, Millionaire Next Door, Scott Allen Turner. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide. Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer made customizable templates to choose from the drag and drop editor and even video backgrounds. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Hey, welcome back to So Money, everyone. Millionaires next door. It's this week. How are you liking it? We've got a guest today who started as a money moron. Those are his words. He was 22 and ran into a number of financial stumbles, but was able to turn it all around to become an early retiree who now spends his time teaching money management to help people get out of debt, save more money, and retire early. His name is Scott Allen Turner. He's from Dallas, Texas. He's 43, serial entrepreneur, and he has started several companies over the last 15 years. That's helped him jumpstart his wealth. He's also a massive saver, massive investor, and he's got some really interesting stories about real estate, some wins, some losses. And he's the host of the Financial Rockstar podcast, a new podcast where he answers listeners' questions about money, business, and life. The number one question he gets is, how do I just get started? And he's got some great answers. We talk about some of those questions on the show. Scott's been featured in Forbes, US News, and World Report, and now now, happy to say, so money. Here we go. Here's Millionaire Next Door, Scott Allen Turner. Scott Allen Turner, Millionaire Next Door. Welcome to So Money. Is it strange to be known as a millionaire next door? Yeah, for new shit, really is. I don't necessarily think about myself that way when I'm, you know, like wandering around through the day, like, oh, I'm a millionaire. So <laughs> really, difference. yeah. You know, that's interesting because I asked another guest, uh, a millionaire, this week, and I was like, "How do you feel being a millionaire? Is it what you thought it would always feel like?" And he said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> um, so, what is it like? Should I do a week dedicated to like billionaires next door? Because that's really only like the level of uh, income where you actually feel like your life has dramatically changed. Or describe a little bit about your lifestyle today and how it compares to before you were a millionaire next door. Certainly. Well, today it's more of you get that mindset where you don't have to worry about finances as much compared to before I had achieved that level of success. So it's a bit different from standpoint. that standpoint. You have less worries. You don't think about the daily grind. 
I've worked for myself for a long time. I don't have to work, worry about an employer that I may or may not like. I don't have to worry about losing my job, my, my home, stuff like that. And so from that standpoint, it's, it's pretty awesome. There's a lot less worry. There's a lot less stress in life. But as far as happiness goes, I would say I was equally as happy before I achieved that status compared to now. I mean, generally, I live a pretty simple, simple life. I've mar- been married for 10 years and quite happy before in our situation when we got married, when we didn't have a lot of money, when we were driving one car, living in my wife's townhouse. And as the years passed, we achieved greater and greater wealth. We kind of kept those same values. Some of our expenses and lifestyles increased along with our income, but we didn't go crazy. We're not flying first class rarely. (laughs) If we are, it's usually on points. (laughs) So, Well, um, at what point did you start to really care about your money? Uh, You don't become a millionaire. accidentally. I mean, maybe if you kind of fall into some wealth, uh, you know, an inheritance or something, but, you know, obviously that wasn't your story. Why was it important for you to reach a place where today you're more than happy to say that your million dollars buys you security? And if that's all it does, then you feel like you've really accomplished a great deal. Sure. Early on, and I call myself a former money moron. I didn't have a lot of financial education coming out of high school or college when I got out of college, I had student loan debt. I get into some credit card debt, took on a car loan, took on an even bigger car loan, got into a big house with way too much mortgage. And one day I kind of realized, oh, I've got a big house, a big mortgage, a big car payment and an empty bank account. Those things don't go well together. <laughs> so <laughs> I started learning about personal finance. I unloaded my expensive car immediately. That helped me to give it myself a little cushion, build up an emergency fund, have a little better sleeping at night because I didn't have to worry about making that mortgage payment. And from there, my life started turning around and I learned about money, investing, compound interest. Doesn't mean I didn't make a bunch of more mistakes. I still have over the years, but really maintaining my money, learning about it, following it, having it work for me. And from there, it kind of snowballed over the years. It did take a number of years to go from having not much. I think it was five or six years from where I made that transition, got married. My wife and I started a couple of businesses along the way, which helped out. That was one of the components of it from going to way too much house and no money to reaching millionaire status. Yeah. So let's go a little more, get a little more specific with the strategy. So I know that you've started multiple businesses. I would also like to know, and my listeners would like to know how much you were putting away every year, if you could remember the percentage. Um, Because, you know, rule of thumb is 10% of your income. Over 30 years, you'll have a nice retirement, given that um, the market typically goes up over 30 years. Uh, So I know that's, if you plan to retire when you're 65, you're much younger. You've amassed um, your millions early. So curious to know what kind of uh, saving strategy you had, in addition to some other uh, conscious steps that you took to get to millionaire status. Yeah, I'd say it was, sure. I'd say it was a, a three-legged stool, which allowed me to get there really quickly. And when you're doing one of these at a time, it can take longer. But when you're doing three of them, you get that much more momentum going. So the first is we had a pretty frugal lifestyle. It doesn't mean we were cheapskates or scrooges, but what happened was I owned a home before I got married and my wife had a townhouse. So we got married. I sold my house. We had a little bit. I had a little bit of equity in that. So that helped out. 
And her townhouse was really tiny. So I went from a big home to a small home. She made a career change. She decided she was going to get her MBA and focus in commercial real estate development. So she went to school full time and picked up an internship. And she wanted to move back to Texas. We lived in Atlanta at the time. So we went from her townhouse. We sold that. We moved into a rental house, which was significantly smaller again and cheaper rent. We got back to Texas. We lived with her parents for a while. And we thought, man, you got a hot new degree. You're in commercial real estate development. You are going to get a job in a couple weeks. So we thought we we're going to live with her parents for a couple weeks. And then the commercial and real estate market tanked. We ended up living with them for a year. <laughs> so we went from her townhouse to a rental house to paying $400 a month in rent in a bedroom in her parents' house for a year. <laughs> And that followed that frugal lifestyle, which was fine. You know, we lived there and we enjoyed our time there, but we're just banking the entire time. We're in a small town. There's nothing to do. We're paying $400 a month rent for an entire year. And we're just accumulating income the entire time because we don't have much to spend on. So that frugal lifestyle allowed us to put half down on our home that we bought. And then a few months later, we had accumulated enough in investments and from our business to completely pay off the house. So that's one component of it. The next was working for ourselves. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had eight businesses in the past 15 years. And the one that I was running at the time did very well. Started with a $7 domain name and probably went about 18 months, 24 months. We were doing seven figures a year in online sales. How? Related to the- <laughs> 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 Certainly. Yeah. Again, my wife went to school for commercial real estate development. One thing she had to do was learn about green building and energy efficiency design for her internship. And one of the things she did, she took this exam for the industry that she was in. And she came home from one day when we're in the rental house. She says, I want to buy a new car, but I don't want to take out a loan for it. I want to just pay cash for it. So we said, all right, how can we do that? Well, let's start a business. What about that thing that you've been doing at work about green building? What if we develop some online products about that? So we put her skill set together with my IT background. I'm a website developer, a lot of software development experience. We built a business around that creating online training products for this green building industry. And it just kind of exploded. There was a need for that product. There was nothing online and it really just took off. So that certainly helped. And then the whole time we were running that business, we're just constantly investing in the stock market. Even when we were living with our parents, since we didn't have a lot of expenses, it's just, all right, we've made this much money this month. Let's just throw it in the stock market, throw it in the stock market, throw it in the stock market. What we do you didn't mean have by throwing it in the it stock market though? Like what was your strategy in the market? We worked with a certified financial uh, planner, CFP, probably six months after we got married. And even though we didn't have a lot of money at the time, he, I think he took us on as a client out of pity. <laughs> he reduced his rates for us. And he got us involved in low-cost index funds that you probably recommend and that I recommend to people as well. Sure. We were in, trying to remember who we were in to start with. I don't remember the exact company, but it was either Fidelity, Schwab, or Vanguard, one of those things. So proper asset allocation, low-cost index funds, and that just allowed us our wealth to grow through that. And then six months after we put our house down payment on, we had accumulated enough in investments. We sold some of them off and paid off the rest of the house. Did your lifestyle ever upgrade as you made more money? Um, obviously, you moved out of the $400 a month bedroom in your in-laws, <laughs> I assume, unless maybe you're there, you're there still. <laughs> no, we're not there still. <laughs> um, but at what point did you realize, okay, now we've made enough money where we can afford ourselves uh, you know, a quote-unquote nicer life, whatever that means to you. Um, and, and, and how did you enjoy your money? Yeah, we were very risk-averse the entire time. We were running our business 
each day we're like, we don't know if it's going to last. We don't know if it's going to last next month, six months, if it's going to crash and burn. So we're very conservative. One things that we did when we lived with the in-laws is we put a contract on a house that wasn't even built yet. We bought a piece of, or there was a, just an empty lot. And we decided, you know, it's going to take them nine months to build this house. At the worst case scenario, we're just going to lose our deposit, which is $5,000 or whatever if our business tanks. So we can do that. And then that's going to allow us some time to accumulate money while this house is being built. And it's it's kind of our dream home. We got to build it from the ground up, pick some of the paint colors and the cabinets and the add-ons. So that was one big splurge. We have a a very nice house. A couple years later, her grandparents had some property out of lake, which they divided up between the siblings. So we got our own lot at the lake. We now own a second lake, second home, which is on a lake, which is quite nice. So that's one of the splurges that we have. And really, we built that house because we like to entertain. We like to have friends out at the lake. We didn't build at the time. It was just my wife and I. It's a five bedroom home. We obviously don't need that much space, but we built that home to be very, let's say, utilitarian. People can come with their kids. We've got a special big room if you've got big dogs so the dogs can stay in the room at night. Yes. So all these little things that are nice if people want to come and relax, not have to worry about putting the dogs at the kennel. We've got a boat. People like to boat. So spend out time up there. And we certainly love to travel. We've done a lot more traveling Mm. over the years. So can anyone do what you did? Is it really um, rocket science or you feel like you were just fortunate in that you decided to get on this bandwagon early um, and you obviously uh, made some trade-offs. Uh, I don't know many people who would want to live with their in-laws um, <laughs> and, and then pay for that on top of that. <laughs> um, some people would say, you couldn't pay me to live with my in-laws. And actually, yeah. you paid them to live with them. Um, so what what would you say is the kind of secret to your, if there is a secret, um, you know, to, to your success? I wouldn't say it's a secret. I like... I'm- there's really nothing special about myself or what I've managed to accomplish over the years. I did start a number of businesses, which that certainly helps when you have that capability to take your skill set, mine being IT, and match that with someone else's domain knowledge. My wife was in commercial real estate development. Go out and build a business around that. But that wasn't the only thing. It certainly helps. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. So running a business is not a limiting factor for people who want to achieve millionaire status or financial freedom in a short amount of time. Certainly spending less than you earn is a big part of that because if we had done a crazy, crazy lifestyle, bought 10 homes or whatever and decided, Hey, we're going to eat at Ruth's Chris steakhouse every night. I mean, is this as easy to burn through earning half a million dollars a year as it is to $50,000 a year? Just ask any doctor who is broke. You know, they, they spend a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Or any athlete or celebrity who goes bankrupt. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, not to mention what Ruth's Chris Steakhouse can do to your waistline, which can also take years off your life. Yes. So <laughs> but there's it's that so delicious. <laughs> but it's so delicious. I know. <laughs> um, fantastic. So let's go back to when you were a moron um, for a moment. And, and, and I'd love to explore your biggest money failure. What happened? Well, there's, there's so many. I mean, we could do a whole week on just those. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a week on money morons. <laughs> you could co-host it with me. That would be fun. Yes. <laughs> if you're a money moron, email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. And you too could have your, you know, five seconds of fame on the So Money Podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, but in all honesty and seriousness, like, you know, what was, what would you say is your greatest lesson learned from a mistake? One of the biggest and one of the earliest ones I had was I was 
when I was single, I was living in an expensive apartment. This was before I knew a lot about money, just doing the paycheck to paycheck thing. I probably had a little bit of savings, but I had very expensive rent. I went out and bought a very expensive Porsche because I was single. You know, you can do that. A Porsche? And, yes. Wow. <laughs> a new Porsche? No, it was used and it was like the Boxster, which is like the lower end Porsche. Still and a I Porsche. Hear Porsches but- are like just, they are... Um, money suckers, you know, like in in terms of maintenance and if you lose up, if you need a new part, it's very expensive. So there's that too. Yeah. And it is more of the Porsche, but really any, sorry, any German car is like that. (laughs) Uh, I I agree. Yeah. (laughs) My wife had a Volkswagen, which was terrible. But anyway, I was talking with my coworker one day and she's like, I'm so excited. I'm getting a new house. And I was like, Hey, that's awesome. Where are you going to live? And then I started dwelling on it. I was like, wait a minute. She and I make the same amount of money. How can she afford a house? And then I realized, oh, I can afford a house too, I guess. And then I started talking with my boss about it. And he's like, yeah, you need to go out and buy as much as the house as the bank will let you, which I pretty much Uh-oh. did. Um, <laughs> oh, no. And so that was my first big money mistake, having the expensive car, getting the expensive house with way too much mortgage. And that's one of the reasons I unloaded the Porsche. Um, I like to say I traded in a Porsche for a house. <laughs> what year was this? Was this during the big, the, the, um, kind of the crazy lending days of 2000 to 2006, seven? Yeah, it was about, I'd say 2000, right, right around the dot-com boom or bust mm. time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I saw the big short. So yes, I know. All so about the lesson that. there is just don't buy. Don't, a, don't listen to your boss when he tells you how much house you bought. <laughs> don't listen to other people. Even the banks sometimes don't give you the right estimates. You know, even today when you're qualifying for a mortgage, you might get an estimate for a mortgage that's like very optimistic. And I always say thank you for thinking that I have this potential to actually yeah. <laughs> take on this amount of debt. Uh, but I'm going to probably cut that in by a third, and uh, we'll keep it at that. So you have to have the wherewithal. And the reality to check in to say, okay, that's actually not feasible for us. Right. The bank let me put 5% down and I ended up with a private mortgage insurance was just a huge oh, waste. Oh, yeah. That too. So yeah, it took a, it took a while to, to get out of that situation. So it sounds like if there's a common theme here, it's, it's around housing. And that's kind of been an area where you've learned your lesson the hard way, but then you made up for it later on, um, you know, making sacrifices, but now you have your dream. I love that. It's like, I can see like, there's like a beginning, a middle and an end to this housing story of yours where you started making mistakes. Then you kind of, um, really, uh, bootstrapped your way through housing, <laughs> living yes. with your in-laws. And then now you've got your dream home. So, and that's, that's a pretty incredible journey. It was. And the homes now, even the home I have now it's nice and we built it. It's got a lot of cool features in it, but I was really quite happy in the rental house that we had yeah. thousand square feet. It was built in 1950s. I didn't like the bugs. I mean, there were bugs in the pantry and I'm definitely afraid of bugs. <laughs> so <laughs> there were squirrels in the basement running around, but I enjoyed it there. It was a good time. Why do you think? Part of it's probably just the simple upbringing I had. Both my wife and I are from very small towns, 2000 mm-hmm. people. I grew up in New England, small country town. My parents were very simple. They didn't have a lot of extravagance. We lived in apartments my entire life um, until I went off to college. And so we just didn't have that exposure to wealth or Mm -hmm. the people that around us were just generally lower middle class. There were no rich people in our area except for the one attorney. Um, (laughs) But other than that, everybody was just kind of on the same level in, in a country town. 
And I think those values that I got from growing up, they just transferred. And certainly my wife had the same values as well. So talking about growing up, what would you say was your uh, understanding of money when you were a kid? If there was a memory that kind of captured that uh, mindset for you, what, what, what would you say is your most pivotal money memory as a kid? Well, my dad was always big on, and I've been working since I was 10. I started delivering papers when I was 10. And I've been working ever since. And so I have a lot of work ethic that I've had over the years. But my dad always encouraged me to, you know, save half of what you make. Hmm. And that's really the only lesson that they were able to share with me because they paid cash for cars. They didn't have credit cards. My dad worked for the town, so he got a pension. There wasn't any retirement savings or anything like that. And they always rented, so they didn't have a mortgage payment or could teach about compound interest or any of that. But anyway, you know, I always had these other ideas of how I wanted to spend my money. And I had a checkbook. I came home from I think college one summer and then my, my dad walks in and says, hey, I was looking at your checkbook today. And it's like, you've got what's this amplifier that you've got written down here? <laughs> speakers These are like dreams that I had written down in my checkbook. I was like the amplifier is going to cost five hundred dollars and the speakers for the car is going to cost five hundred dollars. And I do the drove this junker car and I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, just putting that stuff in there. And he's like, well, what are they? It's like, well, I want to buy this expensive stereo. I was like, well, you should probably put that money towards your tuition. I was like, yeah. All right, I guess. Okay. (laughs) And anyway, as soon as I graduated from college, I went out and did stupid stuff and bought a big stereo for my piece of junk car anyway. You're dating yourself now, you see. A stereo. (laughs) What's that? Yes. Remember stereos? Remember boom boxes? Yeah. Even though I got the money lesson, I I ignored it as soon as I got free. (laughs) So now your podcast, Rockstar Finance, what's the focus on that show? Besides obviously money, what's, what's your POV? I share a lot about, A, the mistakes that I made over the years, the moments that I've gone through. And I get a lot of questions from people like, you know, I don't know how to start budgeting or I don't know how to start investing or I don't know how to start saving. Like, where do I start? And it's the same questions that I asked myself years ago when I was learning about personal finance. Like, where do you start and how do you do it right? And how do you keep from making those mistakes? Mm -hmm. So it's, I get a broad spectrum of questions, 17 year olds to- really. Yeah. All the way up to age 77, which is just... They give you your... How do you ask for the age specifically? No, sometimes I'll say, send me a question like, hey, I'm... Oh, right. They tell 20, you. Right, yeah, right. Sure, I'm a 20-year-old sure. in college or whatever. But there, it's just the basics of personal finance, which we're not taught in... At least I wasn't taught in my family or in high school or in college. And people don't know that. that even if they're 50, 60 years old. Sometimes they don't know just the simple basics. Like, how do I get started investing? I don't understand what a stock is. So, so the basics. You, well, out of curiosity, because I think that's a that's a question a lot of people have, and there's not only one way to start anything, you know. But what would be your answer to someone who was like, "Hey, um, you know, I I want to I want to build wealth." You know, there. I think my viewers, my listeners, I should say, especially some of them might be in a place where they're working, they're making a good income, they they're paying their bills, they're being responsible, but they're like, "Okay, when am I ever going to actually accumulate this thing called wealth?" And yeah, I've got this 401k at work and maybe I've got an IRA, but right now maybe they're 30, 32, and they just don't really see a day where they're going to be millionaires. Is it just that you have to be patient or is there anything you can do to jumpstart that or to kind of, you know, put a jolt? Well, the 
Jolts, and again, it depends on your career path and what your wants and goals are. If you're happy being a school teacher and that's just what you want to do, you want to enjoy your afternoons, your weekends, your summers, playing with your kids at all, that's more of a situation where it is going to take 20 or 30 years if you're constantly socking away money month after month after month. Perfectly fine, perfectly achievable goal for a lot of people in that situation. If you're somebody that says, you know, I like to retire at 35 or 40, you might be in your early 20s. Then it's a case of, yeah, you might have to be super frugal. You may have to go live with your in-laws for a while if that's something that you want to choose to do so that you can save 50, 60, 70 percent of what you're making, putting that into the stock market and letting that accumulate over a period of decade. It does come down to patience. Mm-hmm. You just got to be patient. And I think nowadays with the stock market fluctuating and tanking, people don't have this mentality of, you know, I'm losing all my money and why am I not going to be a millionaire in three or four years? Right. But the compound interest math behind that says it's going to take 20, 30, 40 years unless you're doing those things that are going to kickstart it, like being frugal, maybe starting a side hustle business on the side or you know, well, striking a rich. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think in hearing you and some of the others, uh, other millionaire next doors, next high, what's the plural of that? Millionaires next door whom I've interviewed it, it almost seems like there, there comes a time in their life where they decide to make an extreme move in some capacity within their financial life in order to kind of skip ahead and accumulate a lot of money quickly, whether it's moving, you know, literally like moving to a location, especially if you work from home and you're not tied to a desk at a company in a particular town, you can move and you can work virtually, then you should move somewhere where the taxes are friendlier, the cost of living is better, and that will inherently bring your costs down dramatically. So I've, I've heard that happen. Um, along the same lines, if you don't want to move to a new location, geographic, maybe you move to a more affordable home. Maybe um, you put off buying a home for a while so that you can just save and, you know, don't have to put 30, maybe you just don't give, you don't buy a house, you just rent. And while that may be counterintuitive because some people look at buying a home as a way to build wealth, for others, it's another way to just, you know, create more liquidity in their life. Um, or you could, you know, like you said, start a side hustle, which increases earnings. It's like a, an extreme way to increase earnings quickly. And then that just becomes your maybe secondary retirement vehicle, savings vehicle. So something has to happen. Like you can't just, you know, yes, you can just stay the course for 30, 35 years and save. Um, and someday hopefully you'll, you'll get there. But if you want to get there faster, you, something has to get, um, jolted. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to take the initiative to find out what that is. And getting back to your housing situation, when we moved from Georgia to Texas, the cost of housing was 25% less and there's no state income tax. There so you that's go. Money that we can, we were able to bank as well. What's your number one money habit, Scott? Like something that you do regularly that helps you uh, with your financial health. When I made the transition from not knowing about money to money, one of the first things I did was I started budgeting and initially I started using Quicken software. I think it was and just tracking every that I spent money on. I remember entering Starbucks in there, you know, $3, whatever it was at the time, <laughs> into the uh, so- software. And even still today, I've been budgeting for 15 years, roughly do it every week. Now that I'm married, I sit down with my wife and we go over that. But having a plan and working the plan, knowing where my money is going, making sure there's no big mistakes. 
my wife's credit card has been stolen three times in the past six months. I was looking at the statement the other day. Oh, wow. She's going to Japan in June. And I know she bought the plane ticket. And I'm looking at the credit card statement. It says $8,000 to American Airlines. (laughs) I said, did you buy everyone's ticket? Because she's going with some friends. Are you flying first class? And she says, no, I don't know what that is. Well, someone had stolen her credit card again and charged an $8,000 flight. So same thing for those things. Yes. Mm. Um, so it's weird, but yeah, budgeting, knowing where your money's going. So being able to catch mistakes like that when they happen and having a plan for your money is certainly something I've done over the years and followed pretty religiously. Great. You know, I'm, I think I want to start budgeting for real again. I, did in the beginning, obviously, when I was starting out and I was poor um, and every penny mattered. And not that every penny doesn't matter anymore, but I feel like there's more to go around now. And um, we kind of have a system that works for us. But I think every year it's worth revisiting your spending your historical spending, you know, like the, 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 the January to December of the previous year, what did we spend our money on? And then going into the new year, what are the changes that we should make? And I, cause I think it's really easy to kind of just go on autopilot with your expenses since everything is automated. And then you have these subscriptions that you had last year that you don't need anymore, or you had, um, you know, insurances that you need to renegotiate because, uh, why not? You should always, I've read this. I've been told this that every six months you should be renegotiating or reshopping for things like car insurance and home insurance, renter's insurance, because it's such a competitive marketplace and the rates are so variable depending on where you go. Um, so that in, can save you there right there, like 10, 15%. Um, so I'm learning is what I'm trying to say here. You know, I'm not just the host of this show. I'm learning. All, this is a very selfish show, by the way. I do this <laughs> all for my own good. Hopefully some other people will learn along the way. Scott, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. I do this with some guests from time to time. It's when I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. If you won the lottery tomorrow, 100 million bucks, the first thing I would do is. Well, I didn't win that 1.5 billion a few weeks ago, unfortunately, (laughs) but. You didn't? (laughs) No. (laughs) If I did, we, we are in Texas here. There's a lot of land. And ever since moving here, I would want to buy just about a thousand acres in my plan right now. The goal is have this like cabin place where business professionals would come in and they'd pay a fee to come in and have their little meetings. But then we'd also bring in underprivileged youth and they'd come in as well. And the business people would teach them about stuff. So that'd be my dream. But if I won the lottery, I like that mixing business with pleasure. Sounds yes. like <laughs> when I um, splurge, I like to spend on X because having a lake house, we spend a ton of money on boating and more specifically wakeboarding. If you're not a boater, boat stands for bust out another thousand, which is pretty much true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have a boat, so I guess you have the lake too, so you don't have to find a place to store it. Cause that's another expense that comes with a lot of people who buy boats. Right. Some lakes here, they'll have slips, which you have to rent. Yeah. We have property, and which is lakefront property, so we just put ours in our dock. Nice. One thing that makes my life easier or better is? Uh, our house cleaners. They come every two weeks. I am so thankful. We have twins who are- Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Twin two-year-olds, they make quite <gasps> a mess. <laughs> I just got really scared. Like the idea of two of my- 
kids running. Like I have one, um, almost two year old. The idea of doubling him, um, my heart would double, but in size, but also like I think um, I would become crazy. Oh yeah, we like to say, oh, you've only got one, two. One every, kid. So wait, you should you've get a house cleaner like every two days. What are you talking about? Every two <laughs> weeks. I have someone who comes every single week. That's one thing that I upped when we had the kid that I was like, I need to, my expense, it makes my life easier, better is to go from a, every two weeks to every week. Ours aren't too terrible. Mostly it's in the kitchen eating area, which I typically clean up the floor because I'm kind of a neat freak after every meal. So <laughs> Yeah. Someone in my building posted in our community, online community board, hey, looking for a house cleaner um, two to three times a week. And I'm like, oh, wow. our apartment buildings in this building are not that big, you know, and I'm thinking you are a slob or you're doing something in your apartment that cannot be said out loud or so. I don't know what's going on, but two to three times a week just sounds unnecessary. But again, maybe that person is uh, OCD or something. I guess if you're leaving your clothes along the floor and you want somebody to pick up after you. Yeah, maybe it includes laundry and cooking. Maybe there's like other things that are involved. But I thought that was very aggressive. Kind of my dream, but very aggressive. Have someone come in every day and just like take care of your household responsibilities. Someday. Uh, Okay, when I donate, I like to give to blank because... We donate a lot of money to an organization which helps people out in underprivileged privileged areas in Asia. And they, what we're allowed, what we get to buy is like rabbits and chickens and wells so they can have fresh water, toilets so the women can go to the bathroom in privacy. But my wow. favorite one is we get a Christmas catalog like each year to pick from is we've gotten to buy water buffalo to give to families and they can help. Water buffalo. What is yes. the point of a water buffalo? <laughs> They give off milk and then the family can sell the milk and they can have some wow. milk for themselves. But it's it helps. Business. All, yeah, all those things help support the family and then they're animals that can multiply so that they can have more animals and grow their little like, micro business. What's the name of the organization? Gospel for Asia. Gospel for Asia. Okay, very cool. We'll have that in the transcript. And last but not least, I'm Scott Allen Turner. I'm so money because. I'm so money because I don't just dream about what I want out of a life. I make it a reality. I love it. Scott, tell us where we can hear you, see your stuff, find out more about you. Give us all of it. Sure. My website is scottallenturner.com, A-L-A-N. And that website's got my link to my podcast, the Financial Rockstar Podcast. All right. I love that we have... Uh, such a great community. I, I love hearing about other financial podcasters. We The more the merrier, right? Yes. It's fun learning from everybody. I've been binge listening to your show lately. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, I have to do the same to yours. Thanks. so. And you have twins, so I have no excuse. <laughs> Thanks so much. And uh, wishing you continued success, Scott. Thanks, Farnoosh. I enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about Scott, his website, scottallenturner.com. Like he said, he's also on Twitter at Scott Allen Turner. All this information, including the transcript, audio, and comments over at somoneypodcast.com. And hey, while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. That's a chance for us to connect. Every Friday, I answer your money questions. So if you've got something to ask, that's the hot button to click. Send me your question, and hopefully we will connect on the upcoming Friday episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Oh,